0: pro players they just want to know that you're going to make them better because there's money on the line and there's jobs on the line and the, the stakes are so much higher and there are days that you go into the training session and it and it hits and it flows and you're like yes this is it But in your first year there are days you go into training session and it doesn't hit the way you want it to and now it's like you're right back at square one with everything that you know i, I was the 25 year old that i was yeah all of a sudden being like why isn't this working trying to beat my head against the wall and all those things existed in you know within the scope of one season
1: That was our guest for today, former professional goalkeeper and current assistant coach at Loyola Marymount University, Allie Lipscher. And my name is Omar Zini. Welcome to the Life Through Sport podcast. Allie is a former standout goalkeeper who played at ACC powerhouse Duke University. And much like the soundbite you guys just heard, she details her evolution as a coach and the impact her playing career has had on shaping it. Ali's consistent growth stems from her unwavering nature in the face of adversity, which you guys will hear all about throughout the podcast, and it's those experiences that have afforded her valuable insight on the best practices to help her players overcome the obstacles that can hinder their best performances. She's come a long way in just 10 years of coaching, and I know she's just getting started. Once again, you're listening to the Life Through Sport podcast. My name is Omar Zini. Enjoy the show. Lipshire, how you doing?
0: I am doing great. Thank you for having me. Of
1: course. Thank you for coming on. Of course. So what's new? How are you?
0: I'm great. We just finished up our our season at LMU. Got a little bit of a quote-unquote downtime if you want to call <laughs> it that before you kind of hit the grind with recruiting and and all that and I think last time we saw each other was about almost a year ago in January at the convention so it feels yes. like a lot of life has been has been lived between then and happened. now yeah a lot
1: has happened since then and I think so you went from the pro game mm-hmm. as the goalkeeper coach at KC mm-hmm. it was a KC current at the time or
0: technically no and technically yes they like they okay. like branded right at the end of the season so okay yeah
1: and then you went now you're in the college game mm-hmm. as an assistant coach and a goalkeeper coach yes. at LMU at LMU yep what has that transition been like?
0: Um, it is, I mean, it's been great. Some of it, you know, some of it was professional reasons. Some of it was family reasons, just in terms of getting back to the West coast. And, and so it's been, you know, it's been nice to have um, a really nice, I mean, I wouldn't call it a nice balance, but some balance to, you know, to life. It's been, it's been great to kind of work with a level of goalkeeper, a genre of goalkeeper, if you will, that I'm, that I'm really sort of comfortable with Mm -hmm. and that, you know, I really enjoy working with, you know, at the end of the day, I love training goalkeepers. I love soccer. You can throw me into just about, you know, any situation that you want to, and you you give me a good project and I'm, I'm going to have a lot of fun with it.
1: Yeah. One thing I always am uh, curious about when you go from the pro game to the college game and then vice versa Mm Let's just say how your situation was when you have goalkeepers in the pro level, Mm -hmm. you're exposed to, I guess, better talents Mm -hmm. and you're seeing things that you say, wow, whether personality, whether EQ, whether it's uh, technically tactically, what did what did you take from KC? that maybe now you use for your recruiting as a, from a goalkeeping side, but also to maybe like pointers that you give the goalkeepers throughout the season?
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and that's a, that's a great question. And I think, you know, when you, when you sort of break down the different levels or when you boil down kind of the difference between, you know, whether it's the youth and, or the college or the pro game, what it really boils down to is just the, the margins that you're, that you're working within, um, in terms of making a save get smaller and smaller and smaller kind of the closer to the top that you get. And I'm sure, you know, at the national team level, it gets even smaller. So, so really when you talk about training a professional goalkeeper versus training, you know, a college goalkeeper, it's just that the, the window that you're working within, um, is more narrow. Mm -hmm. Usually, usually there are sort of common factors, you know, in terms of just athleticism and things like EQ and professionalism, like everything just kind of gets streamlined the closer to the top that you get. And that changes the way that you train, that you approach training. And then, you know, looking at the college game, it's, I don't want to say it's a different sport, but sometimes it feels like a different sport just because of the way the season is structured yeah. and kind of the numbers of goalkeepers that you have uh, and the level of goalkeepers and the disparity and, and all of those things. It's it it feels it's it's very, very different because you're working, I would say, in the much with much bigger margins and a much wider lane. Mm. Um, there's upsides to that. There's downsides to that. You know, there's a lot more room for I guess creativity when you have time to, to be creative, you know, in the same in the same thought line, because the season is so short and the games yeah. are so condensed, you don't have a lot of time to be creative. So yeah. again, it, it's just it's completely it's a completely kind of different setting. Um, but yeah. it is it's really fun.
1: I honestly would look at my college career. And I would tell people that it was instrumental in playing for 4 years there at Davis because mm-hmm. I felt like like you're saying the string of games sometimes it's Thursday Saturday it's Friday Sunday yeah so the way things are structured as a goalkeeper I feel that you can really make leaps and bounds In terms of your improvement and your development because you're playing so many games and i think that you finish thursday's game and you go wow as a coach too you have a good conversation with each other and you say hey you could have done this a little bit better but Mm -hmm. um you know we have a game on saturday so i don't want to throw too much at you but still let's maybe try and uh, add this to the game a little bit then comes the saturday game and it could be a major improvement and you can see them wow they really took that information yeah. or you can kind of be like wow maybe i as a coach structured that a little bit wrong and yeah. maybe I've hindered them a little bit so have you ever had a moment like that where maybe like you're saying you're trying to improve the goalkeeper but also to ah man I probably shouldn't have said that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think we've all had moments like that, you know, because you, as a, as an athlete and a competitor, and then you know, translating that into into a coach, like mm-hmm. you want to win, so you want to give as much as you can towards winning. And I think, you know, as I've gotten sort of further along in my career as a coach, you, you realize um, it's not necessarily about giving all of the information that you can. It's about giving them all the information that they need, and sometimes mm-hmm. that's it's really important not to give a little bit of information because, you know, especially I think in the college game, when you do have a much broader range of EQ and, intel- and just soccer intelligence and all of these things, then, um, you know, really, really kind of trying to, to really sort of hit the nail on the head in terms of what a goalkeeper needs to take from one game to another when you do have two days and you don't have, you know, you don't have time to get the 75 reps of something that it might take, Um, you know, or even, even more reps. If it's like an an open exposure situation where you just want to create a little bit of unpredictability. So I I think that, yeah, I I think it's, there's a, there is a, a, a skill to be learned as mm-hmm. a coach with with what information you're giving. Yeah. And I've definitely had situations where just the the competitor and the person that wants to win inside of me and the person that spent hours watching video, <laughs> you know, wants to give as much information as I can. With the, at the end of the day, like you've got a goalkeeper who's not necessarily going to make a ton of gain between the, you know, the, the Saturday and the, or excuse me, the Thursday and the Saturday game, they might, you know, be able to get sharper in a couple of, Ways, yeah. Um. So why overwhelm them with you know with all these things? Why not just give them some confidence and let them go in and and do their thing? Because I think you know at the end of the day, I think a lot of the times that's that's much more effective than than the alternative.
1: Yeah, I think the ego is the enemy from the coaching side sometimes. So much, yeah. Uh, But we we all have it. Yes, you do. And it's it's you take it for what it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And for example, Chris, who you're working with now, Chris Mm -hmm. is at LMU. He was at Cal State LA. I was with him there, Mm -hmm. and I remember when I first came in, it was my I need to prove to this coach that I am worthy of this position. And like I told you, he's a winner. So he has that winner's mentality. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to take on that as well. And during the season, he could see that, hey, man, you know, you're bringing your iPad out. You're you're training the guys. You're filming. Um, but just be careful that, you know, these goalkeepers, we need Alex, to, who's our starter. We mm-hmm. need him to be ready for 22 games this season. And that's mm-hmm. it. Uh, you can make improvements with everybody else, but I would say try to hold off on some of the critiques and stuff until the uh, until the off season. Yep. So the off season came, and again he told me, but didn't really go into too much depth. It was more of a warning shot, mm-hmm. and then we had uh, this goalkeeper. I won't say his name, but. I, he was the Mexican style a little bit, mm-hmm. but raw at making saves. Shot stopping was through the roof. Mm-hmm. Instinctually, he would push and go like I've never seen. Mm-hmm. And that was something that based off of, you know, talking to Phil Wed and different people, I was kind of just like, all right, well, I, li- I like the way they're coaching their goalkeeper. So maybe I can influence them uh, with the English style or the American style. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to get him to make saves, but make sure he parries it in a certain area or prior to a shot, don't do such crazy prep sets. Mm -hmm. And then after probably like a month of that in the spring, he came to me and said, coach, look, I I don't know what's going on, but ever since you've been trying to instill this new way of playing into me, I have not made any saves mm-hmm. and I'm conceding a lot more. And that obviously looks terrible in front of Chris and the, and the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd prefer if you just let me be me and let me, co- let me play the way I know how to play. And again, as a, as a coach, you kind of hear that and you're like, my ego hurts. Cause I'm like, I right. thought I knew what I was doing and yeah. I thought I was supplying you with the information. I'm just trying to help you. Mm-hmm. But then you hear that and you go, Oh man. So I went up to Chris and I said, Chris, this happened to me today. Mm-hmm. And he's like, remember when I told you at the beginning of the season, he always does it. I'm, I, like, I told you, <laughs> yeah. and I, it was just a fair, fair warning. But now you're seeing mm-hmm. these players obviously want to get better. So you need to understand like, is it the right timing? Are you saying it in a, in a concise enough way where they can actually digest the information? Mm-hmm. Are you giving them more than they can actually chew on for that moment? Mm-hmm. So all these different things. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about now in yeah. terms of the college season, not being the best in terms of Major gains, but mm-hmm. maybe marginal, and then it comes down to how you communicate it.
0: Totally, yeah. And, and in the college season, you've got this because you have so many games. If you're starting and playing a lot, you get so much exposure to, to game scenarios, right? And that's is so beneficial, you know, with, with whatever you are kind of in your development. Um, but if you're not playing in a lot of games and you're not getting that game exposure, yeah, you, you on the other hand, you have a little bit more sort of um, volume that you can train with, um, but you're not getting those game exposures. So like the the development is happening in sort of like such different in such different ways between goalkeepers as well. Mm. Yeah.
1: So you grew up in Honolulu? I did. Yeah. Okay, so what was goalkeeping like? What was football like out there?
0: Um it was at a point where it was just sort of we were just starting to produce some talent. We were just starting to, you know, bring in coaches from different places to really grow the game, and I was lucky enough to be, you know, at a at a place where there was some really good coaches coming in and, you know, things like ODP still existed. So I got to, you know, sort of go showcase uh, on a, on a national level that I I don't think I maybe necessarily would have now. And it was really cool and really exciting because we felt like all of a sudden we had sort of been discovered that there was a ton of, you know, girls on my team that went and played D1 soccer. Um, The, our, our equivalent on the boys side of the club won a national championship. Like it was all of a sudden we were like, wow, we're really good at this. Like let's, you know, and so that was exciting. And then I got, then I moved across the country and kind of kept going from there. And, but, but I think that, I think, that soccer in Hawaii has continued to grow in a way. You know, the, the club scene and the youth scene is, has evolved in a million different ways. I don't know yeah. if that's a black hole or a rabbit hole <laughs> that we want to go down, um, but but I I do, you know, appreciate that you you are seeing a lot of talent coming out of Hawaii, and the talent that you do see is, you know, is really good. You've got the Caprice Didascos, you know, back in the day you had the Natasha Kais, and you're just starting to see those players that that are, you know, really special um, with a little bit more frequency, which it makes me really excited.
1: That's awesome. What yeah. were you like as a, as a young goalkeeper? Were you... Uh, oh, just, a you, had a hung- you had a hunger for the game or yeah. did, was it kind of like as you got better, you got a little bit more of an appetite
0: for it? Um, I started playing goalkeeper kind of at the first opportunity. And I, there's a to, to diverge. There's a, there's a podcast. I think it's called The Loneliness of the Goalkeeper. It's like a radio lab podcast, but it kind of gets into like all these qualities that goalkeepers have or like these things that you can sort of find and just kind of how you know, it's like this individual position within a team sport and I was listening to it and I was like, oh Jesus, that was me. There's a little bit of an ego, you know, I like being good at things. So if I, I was like pretty good as a goalkeeper, I played basketball and volleyball and all these like hand-eye coordination sports. So when I started playing goalkeeper, I was like decently good at it. I was a decent athlete. I'm pretty, I was pretty tall. Like I kind of had all these things fall into favor. Mm -hmm. And I mean, at the end of the day, I just really liked being good at something. So, (laughs) so I took, you know, I took off with it and then, you know, and then you learn the game a little bit more. And then I think uh, I liked being an athlete and I liked everything that it provided me in my life. And after that, you know, down the road, I really started to fall in love with soccer, but I was, I mean, I was a pain in the ass. I was a rowdy kid. <laughs> I was a perfect candidate for a goalkeeper. Cause I was going to do, you know, whatever it took. I'm sure I was very unorthodox in all of my, <laughs> in all of my techniques, but it was, yeah, it was a good fit for me. Well, you were
1: good enough. I mean, mm-hmm. you go to top school like duke mm-hmm. so i think there is some validity to uh you as a goalkeeper so i guess the big conversation nowadays mm-hmm. is should goalkeepers specialize at a young age yep. or should they play different sports and i feel mm-hmm. i think with your situation and even you look at like rafa nadal for example mm-hmm. didn't play tennis until he was i think 13 or 14 yeah, so you, you know i'm saying he played soccer for the majority of his life so mm-hmm. Um, for you, what, what kind of a goalkeeper were you though? Like what were some things that you yeah. can say, wow, Duke is taking interest in me because of this and this? Mm,
0: I was a shot stopper and I was very aggressive. Eventually like I was exposed to some of the technical sides of goalkeeping, but I was just, I was super athletic. You know, I think that one of my, it might not be a great example, for a lot of reasons, but one of like my favorite quote unquote goalkeepers that I sort of latched onto at a really young age was Bruce Gravelar mm. going way back. I know. <laughs> um, but he sort of took the position from, you know, these, these, it, it kind of went from being a position where you just stuck the biggest guy in there. Cause he took up the most space to being really athletic. Mm. And I know there's a lot of other history that comes along with him, but I think that you started to see someone who just loved flying around and making saves and kind of, it was, there was a, you know, a little bit of a, uh, a chip on your shoulder about it. And I think that really kind of embodies like you know how how I like to play when I was a kid I was just I was just an athlete, and then soccer kind of fell in and i and, and I started to mold myself around the position after that
1: yeah and Duke is again not a small establishment, so what yeah. was that like coming into to campus when you're i mean so you, you say you moved from Honolulu to was there like a, a period in between there where you moved somewhere else? So say for so you moved straight from to there. College, yeah. Okay. Straight to college. I so was still
0: in Hawaii. I just, yeah, I just kind of moved across the country to go to college. It was, it was great. It was a huge culture shock. You know, you, you grow up in a small place. I grew up on a rock literally. So like I was being exposed to all these things and I had to do a lot of, of growing up and learning. And, and that was fantastic for me. And it was a, it was a great environment. You know, Robbie was my coach and he's still the coach there now. Mm-hmm. There's obviously a consistency in what, you know, they can bring and kind of a, a level that they really strive for that, that I loved. I mean, they, it, it provided me obviously such a great education and a place to, to really grow. And I had, you know, I think every goalkeeper kind of has one goalkeeper coach that, yeah. that really stands out to them when they think of like their goalkeeper coach. And my goalkeeper coach was a guy named Nate Kip that I had in college. And he really, you know, gave me the tools and the confidence and the structure to, to, I think, take my career to, to where it eventually went that I wouldn't have necessarily done without that. So mm. yeah, I'm really thankful for my time there.
1: Do you coach similar to the way you like to be coach?
0: Uh, I did. At first, did. I did. Yeah, I did. And as I've as I've grown, I have found myself kind of able to. I, because I think that all comes back to ego, right? Like you, because if you if you're coaching the way you like to be coached, then you're taking sort of what worked for you and trying to apply it to someone else. And I think that I have become. I don't want to say hands off, but much more observant in my coaching and really trying to take the time to figure out what's going to help him or her, whoever, um, kind of succeed at whatever the task is that we have in front of us. So I think that I did for a long time i was very high energy you know i i sort of coached the way that i played um and i've become sort of much more quiet and much more calm in my coaching and and really just intentional about about what i'm saying to a player and what i'm bringing to a training session mm-hmm. um and i think that's kind of been my biggest growth as as a coach
1: has that been through trial and error Is absolutely that, yeah so like you've had mistakes where you just said you know what i need to dial this back or they're not
0: totally yeah totally and i think you see that i mean so i coach at literally every level you know the the youth and i still do youth coaching and college and obviously at the pro level but there are sessions and i think you see it a a lot at the youth level because that's the hardest age to coach where you're trying to get something across and you're trying to set something up or whatever it is a drill and just at the end of the session you're like shit that didn't that nothing about that worked (laughs) and you sort of have to be you know you um, you can you can be pissed for however long, but at the end of the day, like their kids, they're gonna go home and eat their macaroni and cheese and, and move on with their lives, right? <laughs> yeah. So you kinda have to figure out, all right, so so what do I do? You know, how do I how do I make sure that that I do this better next time? And I, I appreciate the youth game because it is so difficult. You have to be really good at coaching to be able to develop young goalkeepers in really good ways, right? Yeah. Like you can you can give kids great spaces and, you know, you can create great environments and they're going to succeed because they're in a good environment. But like the, like the actual, like the technical growth and the tactical growth of players takes a lot of effort and and it's really hard at the youth level. So I, I appreciate it for that. But yeah, I have, I, I'm, I'm a trial by error person. I'm, you know, I'm going <laughs> to hit my head against the wall seven times before I figure out that the door is next to the wall and I just walk through it, kind of a person. So I've certainly yeah. had, you know, that's certainly how I, I have... I have developed as a goalkeeper coach and it sucks. I wish I could be more cerebral and just sit back <laughs> and think about it, but that's kind of who I am. Yeah,
1: no, it's the it's truth though. I think when yeah. you work with young goalkeepers, I have, I kind of realized that I lack a lot of patience, but when you extract yourself and back up from the situation and you realize, okay, this is what Ali brings to the table as a goalkeeper. How can I improve her? Then mm-hmm. you really have to dissect and then structure the game plan for them. And I felt like when I work with some younger goalkeepers, it was on a private basis so Mm -hmm. i would see them one-on-one and maybe not see them for another two weeks because they were traveling and all that so i never really had to structure it in a way that i made it digestible for them if that makes Mm -hmm. sense and then i started to work with i think cal state la but then some guys and girls that were coming a little bit more often Mm -hmm. and a goalkeeper coach commented on one of my maybe subliminally not on my my channel but Mm -hmm. she was like you need to create sessions specifically for the goalkeeper Mm -hmm. not so much just put a session on for every single like if you have four sessions in a day every goalkeeper from one to four they all get the same session. But then sure. I really thought about it. I was like, wow, that's so true. Why am I running the same session for Ali that I would for somebody else mm-hmm. if you guys have completely unique styles? Yeah. And I think that's where I kind of had to mature a little bit. And I said, wow, I'm taking the easy way out. And to the detriment of the kids that I'm coaching mm-hmm. and the parents, the kids, they're going to listen to you because you're the expert in that position. Sure. But at the end of the day, if you really want to see growth mm-hmm. as a coach, you have to realize and kind of let that rec- reconcile with it for a second, and be like, yeah. okay, I'm recognizing my shortcomings here.
0: Totally, and it's hard, and that's and that's kind of that, that's an investment in yourself because at the end of the day, it takes a long time to develop a good session, right? And if you're yeah. doing four of those in a day, and you're making <laughs> however much money you're making off it, you're kind of making pennies on the dollar with like hours that you're putting into it. So it is, it's hard. Um, and you know, you if if you feel comf- like comfortable and confident with you know whether it's a drill or whether it's a session or the structure or the flow of it, then there's also value to be said about being able to you know deliver a session with with confidence as well. So you're always trying to find that balance between, yeah. you know, making sure that everything is tailored specifically and making sure that you're putting forward a, a good sort of edited, if you will, session. Yeah, There's a balance in it.
1: There is. Yeah. And um, for you at Duke, you were freshman year, were you a starter? Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Yeah, I started off four years. Really? Yeah. Okay. I was
0: lucky. I was, the timing, the timing, you know, was right. And I was able to come in and yeah, I was able to start off four years.
1: That's a big undertaking no? Like,
0: yeah. Yeah. But I think I was dumb enough not to be too, <laughs> you know, not to be too, uh, uh, I don't know, phased by it. Yeah. yeah. I think
1: naive, naivete, like it's, it's, yeah. it's such an underrated skill to have. Yes. We talk about, I talk about Abraham. It was like ignorance is bliss and mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're unaware of the situation and the scenario, like we had rivalries in college and in high school, and I was mm-hmm. like, you know, coming into the school, I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, I don't really know who these teams are, but yep. sure, there's a rivalry. Yep. And then you play against them a few times, and then like by your senior year, you go, oh, crap. Okay, this is a big game. I got to yeah. change everything up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I got scored on by some really good players that are still on the <laughs> national team when I was in college. And I had no idea, right? Like it's, yeah. you just go in. There is, yeah, ignorance is bliss in a lot of ways.
1: And so freshman year, now you're being touted as you know, the starter uh, they were ACC from day mm-hmm. one. Okay, so at a top ACC school, what was that experience like coming from maybe a smaller town and something that maybe is now this is such a brand new experience?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I you know I had some exposure to regional teams and youth national teams and, and things like that, so I had a little bit of a taste of it. Again, I was so naive. Like, so I I think that I was I, I loved my experience. I loved the, that I was getting goalkeeper training every day. You know, I loved mm-hmm. that I was working out every day, and I I, I like I really really am just. It was such a good fit for me and i really embraced the situation so i don't i don't i remember being nervous for games because i was always i've always been someone who gets nervous for games and gets nervous for big moments I'm, i was kind of a training goalkeeper like mm-hmm. i love the grind of the work there was a comfort in that for me and then you know getting over the hurdle of being able to apply that in the game was always something that um not necessarily that i struggled with but i mean maybe struggled with but then had to like really just work to like apply um So, and and that was consistent from youth to college to pro to now in like a professional environment. So I think that, you know, it was, it was a great experience for me. We did really well my freshman year. We had a great team. We had, you know, I had, I had, there was so many other players in the team that were so good that it wasn't like I was holding up the team by any means. So I had opportunities to fail in really safe ways. Um, I had opportunities to succeed in really great ways. Um, And it was, yeah, it was fantastic.
1: I think that's a really good point there, like failing in safe ways. Mm -hmm. I think those are experiences that I've had where sometimes my mistakes were a little too costly. Mm -hmm. I remember academy days where I made a mistake in the academy playoffs, and Mm -hmm. now everyone who was trying to showcase to the college teams, all my teammates looking at me kind of like, dude, you just ruined this for us. And so I think if you can, yeah, if you can fail in the the safe environments and then have the people around you to kind of like pick you up, but um, as a coach, How is your communication style with goalkeepers? Do you help them see those side of things of like, hey, it was a mistake, but we're going to learn from it and we're going to make it so it's not too much of an expensive mistake? Or are you kind of like, look, I'm being blunt. This is the reality of the situation.
0: I think I try to throw a line for both. I think I tend to be... I tend to try to create safe spaces for goalkeepers to fail. Um, You know, I I think if if I've had to, I think the pendulum has swung really pretty far in that direction. I think that, you know, now even more recently, I'm starting to, to find the balance to, um, you want to create safe spaces. You don't want to give players an excuse not to get better. So I'm trying, you know, trying to, trying to be like, okay, like, hey, this is fine that this happened, but like, let's see if we can maybe not let it happen again. And here's how we're going to do that. Like, This is, here's a thought. Here's a couple of exercises. Let's, let's get some reps. Like, no, this rep didn't go this way because, you know, because of this. And then just being really, really intentional is the word that I kind of keep coming back to about, yeah, Yeah, creating those spaces, but also making sure that those spaces are moving in the right direction.
1: That's a great point. What's your ratio of how much you talk during a session to the, the goalkeepers? Oh my
0: gosh, it's gone so down. Um, I used to just be nonstop, I'm sure. So annoying. And I, and I am still pretty chatty, but it's a lot more like the, yep. Okay. Next one, move on. And Mm. not so much like, okay, stop, pause. Like, let's break this down sort Mm. of a thing. There's, you know, occasionally I think there's a good time and place for that, but I think I, I tend to be, I tend to, I chirp a lot. Um, You know, I like to kind of stay engaged. I like goalkeepers to be engaged. I get excited about things and I tend to talk more. I think that, you know, if you're just, if you're doing reps at anything as a goalkeeper, there needs to be something kind of quote unquote realistic about it. So even just like a little vocal cue makes it that much more realistic to what would be happening in a game than just like the silence of someone like shuffling and setting and catching (laughs) and shuffling and setting and catching. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It takes,
1: like you said, a lot of repetitions. It takes so much confidence to allow the session to run and then also that trust factor between you and the goalkeepers and again Dan Ball who we just had on Mm -hmm. he had a good point where he's like the thing I love about being a goalkeeper coach is the ratio of it's four to one so it's you have a really intimate relationship with each person you really know what their values are you really Mm -hmm. get to know Um, where they stand on visual cues verbal cues and how they want to be spoken to Um, so for you is is that something that you really enjoy about the the coaching position
0: yeah absolutely I think you know there is you 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 get to form relationships with with people and kind of learn them in a way that you don't in a team setting which is really really valuable and also like really important and something that you have to be you know really aware of because it's something that if you don't value it and you don't treat people in the right way or you don't take the time to kind of learn someone's learning style, kind of like, you know, what, what you were talking about with um, the goalkeeper that you had at Cal state LA, like it, yeah. it can go sideways. So I think it's an important thing to, be, you know, to be able to have an emotional intelligence about um, and a goalkeeper and coach intelligence about yeah. if you want to call it that. Yeah. yeah.
1: that's been I think my biggest hurdle that I've had to cross mm. is because I'm a very impatient person. Mm. I kind of like to have my relationship, let's say you and I are very close and we've worked together. I kind of assume that within a few conversations, I'm going to be able to have that same relationship with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then it's that lack of, I want to not even awareness, but the patience aspect where I'm like, these things happen so. Um, organically Mm -hmm. that now you're trying to force the situation and that trust can't be built Mm -hmm. and then maybe now I'm going to start questioning how I'm communicating and how I'm delivering my message when in reality give it a few more weeks or even the full season sometimes everybody's a little bit different and how they allow people to come into their lives but then that trust factor is built and then now I'm not questioning what I'm saying and all that because I have that just like I don't know more of an awareness of like I'm talking to somebody that that trusts me and I trust them and it's very easy not to question yourself when you have that uh, that layer.
0: Yeah, there's a wisdom and an experience to to that versus just kind of an intelligence about what you're saying for yeah. sure. And it's and it's important. It's important for development in any you know, in any arena with any sport with any coach or teacher or what have you. But it, it because yeah because there is an intimacy to just to the ratios that you are yeah. training goalkeepers with. It's really important.
1: Mm. So you don't really have too did you have a ton of expectations going into college though that like I want to come in and compete or were you still that ignorance is bliss of like, oh, okay, it's a big school. I'm, I'm coming in and we'll see what happens.
0: No, I wanted to come in and compete. And there's a rally, like, you know, you sort of, I knew that there was a senior graduating and I know that, you know, I knew that they were investing money in me. Mm. So I, I I think that there was, you know, an understanding of sorts, but if I don't have a full grasp on someone, I'm kind of someone who's going to be like, F it. Here we go. Let, let's see what <laughs> happens. Like I'll, I'll understand it when I'm in it. Yeah, And I think that I was able to take that approach to you know, my, my playing.
1: Mm. Yeah. Four years. You guys were, I think you guys made the NCAA tournament every year. Mm-hmm. One sweet 16, one elite eight. A
0: couple sweet 16s, one elite eight. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then after, do you have aspirations to play pro or?
0: I did. There wasn't a league yet. Um, there was a gap year between when, uh, when I graduated from college and then when the WPS started, which was the iteration before the NWSL. So I actually moved out to LA and I was playing for a team out here in, um, the WPSL. Yeah, which is which was awesome. You know, one of my teammates from college was out here. I was just doing like the, the starving artist thing, working a bunch of jobs and playing as much soccer as I could <laughs> and, and surfing on the weekends, which was great um, and living in L.A. and, and all the things. And, and then when the WPS started up, I was i wasn't drafted actually um i was asked to, to come in as a trial player for the boston breakers and i went out and and i made the team there i spent a couple of years in boston i played internationally in australia for a couple of seasons that was kind of when the seasons were a little bit shorter so you could do both um so i was able to play here and then jump over to a season kind of during the winter months in australia so i just had perpetual summer for like <laughs> two years which was really fun and then when the league shut down I kind of, you know, I kind of had to look around and I was like, I'm making $12,000 a year. You know, Mm. I'm about to lose my, get off my parents' health insurance. (laughs) Like I need to kind of figure something else out, which is, which is unfortunate, but it also let me step into coaching, you know, at like 25, 26. Mm. So I've had, I've now had, you know, 10 years of, of kind of coaching in various, in various arenas under my belt, which, which, you know, from a professional aspect, I do really appreciate.
1: Uh, Yeah. I've, every player or pro player that I've had on, they've always talked about kind of like that crossroads in their life mm-hmm. where you can look at it as glass half empty or glass half full. Totally. And it sounds like with the coaching journey now Mm -hmm. you've kind of taken it as class at full
0: yeah yeah no absolutely like i'm someone that needs to learn you know from experience and and that's not always the quickest way Mm -hmm. to learn is because you got to go through it so i've had a lot of different coaching experiences um i've coached in a lot of in different divisions in you know the college game different places in the youth game different areas i've lived in every area of the country and so i've had a lot of really really great experiences that i think you know when i look back at it have have been really formative to me that I'm really, really thankful for. But, you know, it's at the time you're like, I wish I was still playing, you know, you see the NWSL start and you're like, man, that would have been cool. Or, you know, there's, it's always easy to look back and think about what if, but I'm really for I'm really happy that, you know, everything kind of turned out the way that it did.
1: Yeah. From what I hear, you are a great coach. So I'm uh, just, I'm going to let you know you. that now. So you probably made a good decision to uh, get a head start that. on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was that I guess, transition of levels from the college game now, you're going to the pro game. And yeah. was it similar? I think you said something about like a lot of international players now and it's yeah. different
0: styles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was. It, there was a jump for sure. And there was a whole year in between where I was literally just training on my <laughs> own at a field. And I was like, you know, with a bunch of other people that were <laughs> sort of thinking about trying to go pro or were playing, you know, semi-pro at the time. So there was a big... There was a big jump all of a sudden, you know, I came into the Boston Breakers and I was a little bit pissed that I didn't get drafted. I kind of felt like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, we all have egos for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went in with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, but also with that same sort of like naivety where I'm like, F it, like, I think I'm good at this. Let's just see how good I can be. And then ended up Ended up getting signed, but was playing behind Kristen Luckenbill, who was you know former national team goalkeeper. So there's you know when you talk about like the jump in levels, like you're you're seeing everything. Yeah. Um, there's, was you know me and a soccer ball on a wall at El Segundo. All of a sudden, like you're in a <laughs> training environment with you know with Kristen Luckenbill and a and a great goalkeeper coach and and all of these things. So it was it was a big jump in level, but. I loved it. it you know it was incredible you get to, you get to play soccer and it was at a time you know when women's soccer certainly didn't have you know the the fame and fortune that it does now so you yeah. you're you' really grateful for it because you're like there's something you know I get to do something um so you're kind of just grateful for whatever you have
1: did you feel like you were a part of something that was gaining traction or were you guys still in those moments kind of like damn this is really what the professional life is or because I've heard it's a little bit it was unglamorous for a long time and even yeah. now it's still not amazing sure but still I think the early players, they kind of had to realize that they were in it for something bigger than themselves.
0: Yeah. No, I, I thought that, I mean, I I thought that I had, had made it, you know, I walked into the locker room and Tony DeChico is my coach and Christine (laughs) Lilly is sitting, you know, two, two lockers down from me. And I don't think I said anything for like a week. I was just so intimidated (laughs) by everything, but no, I, I loved it. And, and, and you know, you can, I think that it's, it's important to be able to see things out of a couple lenses. Like, I think I was so thankful for it. Uh, and I'm also so thankful that I was able to step back and like, Kind of, you know, see that I think it wasn't as good as it could be or should be, or we're slighted in some ways, and also be part of like building it towards what it is now, and and I think that it's important to to be able to hold both things because you don't you don't want you know you sort of. <laughs> it's hard not to, to jump back into like the, well, when I was a player, we had to, you know, mentality. Yeah. You want, you want players to want more. You want people to push for, you know, for more money and more airtime and all those things that, that they do deserve. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing the, the end results of that now, I think. So, you know, on one hand, I was really thankful for, for what I had. Uh, and on the other hand, I'm, I'm so thankful. It's not what it was.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's a great point. Um, So from your playing career now, again, mm-hmm. you're transitioning to coaching at a younger age. What were your thoughts on Coaching, yeah. like, was it a completely different world? For for example, for me, it was, I can apply all the same the hard work and the attention to detail, but now with the through the lens of of coaching. So, mm-hmm. how was that transition for you? Was it easy? Was it hard? Or
0: it was easy because I wasn't great at it to start. I thought it was here's you know here's what I know. I'm just gonna tell these goalkeepers what I know and try mm-hmm. to get them to do what I know is right and what works. And that's, you know, I, I think. I didn't have a lot. The, the, I think the goalkeeping uh, mentorship and conver- even like podcasts are our mentorship in a way. Just hearing people talk about goalkeeping, like we didn't have that, right? So you're sort of you're sort of just put on the field with you know your cleats and a handful of balls and said coach. And and so I tried to do that as best as I could, but I was just coaching what I knew. And it took, you know, it took the last 10 years for me to really sort of evolve in a way where I've been able to develop as a coach, not just a former player who knows about goalkeeping. Um, And I think that's a transition within itself.
1: What did you hold as like your gold standard at 25 from the mm. coaching side and what do you like look back on and go wow that was something that I really from a personal yeah I yeah. guess preference as what you saw from the goalkeepers but also to something that may have an experience that may have changed the way you see maybe how you coach and how you want to develop the goalkeeper
0: yeah I think a lot of that I saw everything that I understood like physically as a goalkeeper like I thought like that was the best that I had to offer was being like look how I make this save or like listen to how I think this save should be made, and then let's try to do that. Here's how I think this should look. Now I'm gonna to try to get you to do so this so it looks how I think it should look. Mm. And I thought like my ability to do that was kind of what I brought. And at the end of the day, like I think communication is 99% of, of coaching. I think that if you can communicate something, I think well, I think maybe maybe not 99%. I think understanding the players that you're working with and understanding what they want and what you want and what the, the, the best end result is and being able to communicate with them in a way that gets them as close to they can is that end result. That's really what coaching is. And I think that that's really what has, has changed and, and developed and grown for me, mm-hmm. you know, in my time as a goalkeeper coach is just being able to, to uh, look and listen and learn and and want to develop and want to, you know, change my understanding. I'm, I'm coaching things now that I didn't do as a player. And I think when you get to a point where you can do that and you see someone excel in those areas, you're like, okay, like that, that feels good. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's, I'm not just coaching something that I knew because I knew how to do it. Like I'm coaching something that I've come to understand and I've learned. um, And now I'm able to communicate it in a way that allows you to do it as well.
1: Yeah. I think it's the continued development that Mm -hmm. sometimes you're so caught up in the daily life and the daily, I guess, attention to detail for that goalkeeper and you try and package it in a way for them. But then as you kind of take a step back, you're like, wow, me even trying to package this information in a very succinct way for this mm-hmm. player, it's creating a skill set for myself as well. Totally. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. is a skill set. Yeah, yeah. We're, I mean, we're just trying to give, we're trying to give players tools, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone's got a belt. We're trying to give them tools, but you've got to be, you know, sharpening your own tools as well. Yeah.
1: yeah. An interesting topic. I, I came up with one of, uh, Armando who I had earlier, mm-hmm. we were discussing how sometimes you can kind of get pigeonholed into the system that you're in as a coach, but mainly as a player. Mm -hmm. And for example, at Davis, I told a story about my coach kind of saying, Hey, like you're good at shot stopping. We have tall guys. Don't worry about crosses. We'll take care of that. And you kind of, for a second, take your eye off that Mm -hmm. and you recognize, Oh wow. Okay. Well, if I'm not, I'm okay at not being good at being commanding Mm -hmm. because I don't need to be. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of step into the pro game or pro trials and you're starting to recognize, wow, because I took my foot off the gas in that skill or in that tool in my toolbox Mm -hmm. it's very dull it's not sharpened like it should have been and then you kind of fall back a little bit because you're not really of use to as many coaches you kind of start making uh it's more of a narrow pathway Mm so you think that's something that whether it's at KC or I think you were U of A University of Minnesota Mm -hmm. like you were at these different different places where we have a style however I'm also noticing that you have more potential, so don't lose sight on these other skills.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, and I think you know, I keep I keep using the word balance because I do think you know it's such a it's such an important word that exists. Where you know if you're, you know, you you had a coach tell you like you know don't worry about crosses, we've got taller players, all those things. Like there's information in that that that, that is important. Like okay, like here's how I need to understand. You know, if I'm in a situation where I. I, I need to understand my range. I need to understand my crossing ability. I want to make it better for sure. But if I'm in a game situation, I'm not, that's not maybe the time where I'm really trying to make it better. That's yeah. maybe a time where I'm trying not to get scored on. So how do I develop the tools of communication or recognition or scan what whatever it is to make sure that in a game situation, I'm as effective and efficient as I can possibly be. And then, you know, as a, as a coach, it's your job. And as a player, it's your job as well to take responsibility over over the development and moving moving that needle wherever kind of it needs to move. Maybe yeah. making your range bigger, maybe making your communication better, maybe making your, your recognition or decision making, you know, moving that in a direction where it needs to move yeah. for sure.
1: I think that's the, the thing we can get kind of get caught up in because of the quick succession of games and mm-hmm. we're not really... Looking at the development side anymore, it's more wins and losses. Yeah. It can kind of turn into that. Yeah. And um, we had a season last year. We had a goalkeeper Alex Rando, who's at NYCFC now. But we had him, and then obviously towards the end of the season, we're realizing, okay, we've probably lost like 20 games now. We're not going to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I pulled him aside and I said, look, you know, at the end of the day, we can look at this, this season and cry about it and be upset about it, and or we can kind of say, look, these there's 10 games left what are some things and goals that you want to try or take from what you've worked on on, on the training ground to the game and how can we apply it? Mm-hmm. We had a very serious conversation. He was like, "Like I wanna try this a little bit more, try to you know hit some goal kicks on my left a little, a little bit more and, and apply that and I think that was something that I learned as a coach where I said, wow, I could really cry and sulk over the fact that the season's lost or we can use it as an opportunity to say, okay, what are some things that you've showcased in training that I can give you the full confidence and then speak to the head coach and say, I gave him, I, I wanted him to have yeah. the green light there. Have you ever had any of those moments where you kind of said, yeah. Hey, I've seen it in training. Go for it. Let's see.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think what you're saying is, is, is it speaks to the fact that there's always, there's always sort of two types of, there's always two things going on, right? You're always You always want to win the game. So there's always kind of that priority Um, and where you are in your season, there's that priority. And then there's like the long-term development and both of those things are kind of happening. And, you know, during season one kind of takes precedent during the off season, the other sort of takes precedent. And so being able to, you know, being able to manage those. And like you were saying, maybe being able to sort of navigate maybe when, that priority can shift a little bit and you actually are going to get more out of your long-term development. If you give someone a little bit more freedom and take a little bit more risk, you know, in terms of, you know, what you're opening up in a game. Yeah, that's, that's definitely happened. I've, I've definitely been on teams where you get to a point in the season, you're like, all right, well, we know what we know how this is going to end and it's not in the championship match so you know how do we how do we maybe shift our focus a little bit to a make sure that we're helping you i think i think what you what you did with with your goalkeeper was helping them compartmentalize in a way where you're not just staring at this big picture that has a lot of of losses in it because that's hard and that gets heavy especially for a goalkeeper being able to compartmentalize in, in a way that allows you to focus on Something smaller that you have more control over that you can experience more success within is really really important because because a you know you're you're checking some of that long term development um, you're checking a, some more of those boxes but you're also you're also allowing someone to experience a, a success and 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 give them an environment where success is happening maybe when you zoom out that it isn't happening in in the same way so i think that's a great skill you know it's, to be able to yeah. have we, yeah. to, we
1: need to cultivate that as coaches yeah it's kind of like okay how can i carve uh, out a piece of this season and, and present it in a way that it looks like success overall mm-hmm, totally yeah. and then one thing you did say that i liked was kind of like the compartmentalizing tell me about a time in your life where yeah. you've had that kind of like a little bit of a failure i would say mm. uh whether it's coaching playing Mm -hmm. but then you've kind of learned that skill and refined the skill of uh, compartmentalizing
0: so i okay so i played uh my last season in the wps was with the atlanta beat we were not good we came in last we won one game and i think that you know there was a period of time where i was starting and i was playing and um we, we just kept losing it. And, and I started playing poorly. Like I was letting, you know, nerves and lack of success. And like all my confidence was just at an all time low. And you know, at, at th- what happens at the professional level is you get pulled and that's just kind of a reality of it. But I was able to kind of, I, I was, I was still young. I was whatever I was 24, but I was able to sort of go back to what was a safer space for me with training and really just even having a little bit more room to breathe and like really being able to dial in a lot of a lot of where I started to fail was in my decision making whether it was you know taking I remember just taking too long on a distribution there was a there was a very specific place one of those things you'll never forget where I got a back pass I knew what the simple decision was um, and I knew what kind of like the, the quote-unquote wrong decision was and I, and I went for it anyway and I tried to hit a ball with my left foot at a time when you know I wasn't confident enough with my left foot and I hit it straight to Abby Wambach and she just took a touch and buried it <laughs> on me but those moments. And, you know stay with you and, and I was able to in kind of you know being being put back on the bench, I was able to spend a lot of time working on my left foot and I was able to take these these moments like these goals that I was like I made a bad decision here and really kind of have time to look at them from a safe dif- distance and compartmentalize them in ways where I could go back to you know what I felt safe with, which was just the grind of the work and making sure that, you know, I got a thousand reps of something. Cause if I get a thousand reps with something, I'm going to be able to take it into the game. It's kind of that transition that we talked about early in the podcast, mm-hmm. take it into a game and feel so much more confident with it. I want, you know, I want my product to be polished and finished. And that's kind of how I've always been as a, as how I was as a player. So just, you know, in that failure and, and having a little bit more space to, to break things down on a smaller level and not having to look at them with so you know holistically yeah i think i was definitely able to start to you know start to turn around and then i went you know to australia and had a great season in australia and felt like i was kind of playing at the top of my game you know for for a while there yeah. so
1: i think it's in the trenches mm-hmm. where you start to figure out how to get yourself out of those things and i think these skill sets really go a long way as coaches as well and i don't, th- I don't know if, whether we know it or not or like those stories come into your head in the moments where a goalkeeper who you just had to pull or had that honest conversation mm-hmm. and tell them, Hey, you're going to be on the bench for the next few games. We're going to yeah. go with the, the hot hand now, mm-hmm. but those like stories, they kind of come out of nowhere and you kind of go, Ah oh, man, I need to deliver a message to her to say, look, this time it could be unproductive where you're sulking and you're upset mm-hmm. or we can realize hey you can ask, or you can ask me or you can realize hopefully mm-hmm. they come to you but yeah. say hey like what did i do wrong what could i improve i think from the emotional intelligence side i spoke to dan about it and mm-hmm. i think that's that's such an underrated skill yeah. and do you feel like that failure or maybe other failures that have happened to you in your, in your career kind of shape the way you you bottle messages or kind of
0: 100 uh, percent, yeah yeah and i think you know what what i have learned is If a player trusts you and a player knows you and you are transparent and you are honest um, and you are consistent, I think that's a really important word, then you can deliver that message in a way that allows them to be like, just allows them to hear it and digest it in a way that they wouldn't if, if they don't trust you or if you've been inconsistent. And I was inconsistent because, you know in early in my career because i was impatient and i was all these things and i and my ego was taking precedent you know and i didn't have the skill set of communication and all these things but you know i have learned that with establishing that relationship you're a, you're just you're able to have hard conversations if, if you don't know me or i've been you know i've responded kind of erratically to to training and and one day like i don't say anything and one day i'm saying you know a million things but you can't really like, you don't really understand why then when i come to you and i'm like you know omar i'm sorry like you're you're not going to start you're, you don't, you don't trust me. You don't no. know me. Like you don't, you don't have any context for what I'm saying. So you're going to handle it a lot differently and maybe not take advantage of the space that, you know, we are creating for you. But if you do, I can say to you, you know, in a way like, Hey, you're not starting right now. And then here's a plan because, you know, we've had conversations before and there's always a plan and there's always a reason. Here's a plan for how we're going to approach this time. And, and all of a sudden you've got a much different, you know, a much different week, month, whatever it is kind of ahead of you.
1: That's one thing with Chris, He always Mm -hmm. talked about, he said it from like the player's perspective, like you guys, we can't blink. And (laughs) don't blink is something that I tried to um, implement as a coach. And one thing he also said was be undeniable. For me, I'll tell you quickly how it's that for me. It was no matter what you do, you always have to understand that the players are watching, um, whether you're being consistent or Mm -hmm. inconsistent with your messaging on and off the field. When you show up to the field, you need to be on time. The session needs to be ready and planned, needs to be structured that gives you leeway to make adjustments but if you're not and the players see that there's a, a chink in the armor there a little bit when yep. they kind of realize okay coach is not really on his game today so for you what does that mean to be undeniable and, and I guess the way you carry yourself as a coach
0: yeah totally and and that's something you know that you know he he still says it is still a big part of of his philosophy and for me it's it's just that consistency there's you know, there's consistency and then there's honesty because at the end of the day, like, you know, we're humans and yes, my sessions are planned out and yes, they're intentional, but no, they don't always go, you know, to plan. But if, if they are consistently honest and planned out and I'm consistent in the way that I, you know, approach them and I'm, and I give them, you know, just those two to three bits of information beforehand, like, Hey, here's kind of what you can expect on the day. And then Mm -hmm. every day they, get with what I said they can expect. Then if I come into a session and it's not really going to plan, I'm like, hey, this isn't going to plan. Like, here's what I think. Like, let's adjust in this way. We good? We're good? Okay, let's go. That happens as a result of, I know we keep coming back to it, but just me like putting down my ego and not being like, this isn't, you know, this isn't going the way I want it to go. So like, here's how I'm like, let's just keep going forward and driving through this. Or like, here's just this radical adjustment we're going to take or like, like we're done, we're, whatever yeah. it is. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's so important. I do. I think consistency and continuity and just a steadiness is so, so, so important. And I think that those are things that are really important as a goalkeeper as well. So if I can, if I can convey that as a coach and I'm not erratic and I'm not reactive, then I think that's a great example to set just overall for the goalkeepers that I'm training.
1: Yeah, you said earlier the balance aspect of like balancing the emotions and balancing mm-hmm. all those things and if you can't be a good example of it how you, how can you expect your goalkeepers to Totally. Yeah, listen to what you have to say. Um, I do want to tap into your ego a little bit though, Please, because every, every, it's, every it's coach, yeah. <laughs> every coach has it. So what can you tell me from the technical and tactical is your best asset? And then from the emotional intelligence side as well, what is something that you feel you can kind of hang your hat on and say, man, I'm really good at this and I've really improved over time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, as I think that from a technical side, I have really been intentional about trying to figure out what makes goalkeepers efficient and I think that you know I, I what I've what I've really tried to do is I have tried to let goalkeepers make a save however they're gonna make the save you know at the end of the day like if your hands are behind the ball in a good shape and you have a good catching ability you're gonna catch it so how your hands get there yeah there's more efficient ways to do it but if I can if I can get a goalkeeper, going from a balanced position where they have a lot of ground contact um and an ability to maximize their own efficiencies, then they're they're probably gonna make a save. Whether or not, you know, I want them getting lower and shooting, you know, shooting lower. I think, you know, you mentioned or I saw something recently where do you shoot from below the ball? Do you shoot at ball level? Like something like that, right? right? Like and and I kind of was like, yeah, I can understand where the efficiency is in those two things, but if I've got a goalkeeper that it's going to take longer to get lower because of who they are and, and that's going to unbalance them, that's a word that I've really sort of have honed into, then they're not going to make that save as, as consistently as they would if I if I just help them get to a point where they're balanced. And a lot of that, it's nuanced. A lot of that for me has come from like, are your eyes moving, right? Is your head moving? Can, can we get you to a place where you are still? What does that mean for how your hands move? And just kind of being really intentional about learning individuals and getting them to a place where they're able to maximize their skill set. And mm. then and then from there you I think that, you know, looking at looking at, at people's height and athleticism and power and being like, okay, like you've got this tool, it's not very sharp. How do we sharpen it a little bit? At the end of the day, if I, you know, if I get someone pushing off, you know, their front leg instead of their back leg or getting a really good quick transition from their back to front leg um, on their dive, but they're not starting from a balanced position, then you're losing your, I mean, it's completely null and void. So that's something that that I've really cued in on and, and cued in on and I think is really important that I value. And I think that I've spent a lot of time in, and gotten, you know, to a place where where I'm able to help keepers develop with that in a really good way. And, and I've and I've seen it work and that feels good talking, you know, talking about your ego. So I think that, you know, that's, that's kind of what, what I would hang my hat on um, and the technical side of things. From the tactical side of things, I've, we'll go off on a tangent a little bit, but like I, I work in the women's game. I've, I've worked on the men's side, you know, a, a bit, but I've mostly worked in the women's game. Um, and on the tactical side of things, what I bring is just an understanding of soccer and a love of soccer and wanting to learn about, you know, about the game and understanding how different cultures, you know, play in different, why one country style is different from another country style. So from a tactical standpoint, I am still honing in the ability just to get uh, players to start watching more soccer at a younger age and learning from the game in ways that I was able to learn from the game because I fell in love with it. And, you know, I, I wanted all of it. I wanted to watch Bruce Grabel on VHS (laughs) and things like that. And, and, you know, I think that my, uh, my, uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, my journey right now is, is really just trying to, expose kids or expose players and women, uh, that I'm coaching to the game in a way that makes it accessible and trying to let them learn, like giving them a tool so that they can maximize their own development and their own growth. Um, you know, because I can, I can tell you the cue to look for in a wing back if you're going to spring the ball, you know, wide on a play. Um, but if you see Tottenham do it all of a sudden you know you, you it look yeah it looks different we're playing you know we're not we're not Tottenham <laughs> I wish we were and the cues might look a little bit different but just seeing the repetition of it yeah. and seeing it happen like it just it it, it 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 you learn things in a little bit of a different way like it's just it's that much more it's it's another repetition that you're getting when you're not you know when you're not on the field and yeah. that's really big
1: Well, it seems like from the tactical side, a lot of what you were saying is translated into almost any movement, Mm -hmm. whether finding a balance, keeping your head still. And I think Mm -hmm. I've used the head still one as many times as I can now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would almost, I think, you know, I, I would say that kind of for me, the way that I think about it is, is the eyes go first a lot of the time, just because of the ability, like how quick you're able to move them. And I think that if you can get your eyes on, if you can get your eyes stilled, if you will, I'm sure that's a word on, you know, on a ball or a player or just a space a little bit quicker, then your 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 brain and your body are going to follow quicker. Your hips are going to end up setting in a more open position. Some yeah. of the things you know that you mentioned, and I think that's huge. And I think that it's something that at the pro level, you talk about like you know those margins and, and where you're training. Like those are some of the margins that you start to train in at the pro level in really sort of 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 you know deeper ways, I should say. We're at the college level, yeah. Like I'm touching on that in college, and I'm trying to reinforce it, but I'm not going into the depth that I would, yeah. you know, at at the pro level by any means.
1: Mm. Well, let's talk about that pro level then. Yeah. Thank you, by the way. The ego, yeah. we can kind of push it off to the side now, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah no. <laughs> no, but I loved it. I think that's those are really good points that even myself, I was like, oh, damn, okay, I feel like I should have maybe... I probably have made that point once, but I didn't emphasize it enough. Mm-hmm. I think the eyes... For me, maybe I was always saying keep the head still, so mm-hmm. maybe... In theory, you can say, yeah, the eyes are a part of the head. So maybe I was saying it, but I don't think And maybe think
0: of, I said it once and it worked, and I'm like, that's it. You know what I mean? So there's, <laughs> How crazy is that, though? Yeah, as yeah. coaches,
1: like, we're influenced. I know mm-hmm. players as well, they hear us and they go, wow, okay, that's something I really liked. And mm-hmm. then for us as well, it's like, oh, wow, that's something, something oh, pretty cool there. Right. <laughs> All right. Tuck that in my back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but So you go from, uh, again, the college game to the pro game. How did that kind of, I guess, the, the KC situation kind of mm-hmm. present itself?
0: Yeah, so I was I was coaching in college. I was working with a team that is now a USL two team, um, Minneapolis City in Minneapolis. So I was training men, which which was awesome. I loved it. You know, I had, I had my own, I have my own company. I was doing a lot of training through, through them. So I was kind of doing everything. It had always, I'd always wanted the opportunity to, to go back to the pro game. And I'd started to have conversations about it kind of more frequently, more regularly. You know, I, I there was people that I played with that were then now coaching and playing and still playing. Um, so I was just a little bit more intentional about going after it because it meant a big change it meant moving away from my family and living on my own for you know a year it meant uh it meant all of these things but it was a step that I really wanted to take uh and and the opportunity came up because there was you know a couple of expansion teams happening and I had sort of been in conversations with you know with teams about positions and and I wasn't like a hundred percent that it's something that I really wanted to do do I want to move across the country from my family like yeah not really but you know if at the right opportunity like do I want to pursue this as part of my career yeah so at one point you know is it kind of like quote unquote worth it so i had, i got to a point where like, yes like we knew that it was going to you know it, we knew that it was going to mean living apart for a while we knew that it was you know it was kind of going to be the next step and, and once i kind of wrapped my head around that i was able to engage in conversations in a way that i think allowed me to really pursue that step and i ended up you know i ended up getting a couple of offers with you know with nwsl teams i ended up yeah, in kansas city for a year it was an incredible experience we didn't do that well I, I think it was the first year of a club that had a really unique situation where they just inherited a team and you're trying to build it in 40 days i think mm. it was you know from from the time that they That they got the team in the time that you know the season started. It was it was a mad dash, Um, and in the midst of that, I'm in year one at a new you know at a new club in a in a at a new team and and learning really really quickly and trying to figure everything out as I go. And it was a great experience in that way. But there wasn't a lot of time you know to grow and develop, and there wasn't a lot of time to learn. It was like you you you're gonna hit the ground running and you gotta do everything right straight off the bat. And I think that I grew a lot. I would hope that everybody's first year uh, at a new job or at the next level is kind of their worst year. That's kind of ideal. Mm. Right. So, and, you know, on one hand, it is a little bit hard to, to only have one year. Cause that was always, it's always going to be my worst year. But you know, on the other hand, it's, it was an incredible experience and I'm so much of a better coach because of it. So I really do appreciate, you know, what it was. Yeah.
1: What was that, uh, that like now when you're, you're realizing, oh, wow. Okay. Wins and losses here are important. And like you're saying, those margins are incredibly in tight now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, i Pro players, they just want to know that you're gonna make them better, and they're gonna go because there's money on the line and there's jobs on the line. And the, the stakes are so much higher, and I think that I think that I was really concerned about proving myself. You know, on one hand, you're like, I know I'm good enough. How do I show them that I'm good enough? Um, I've got you know all these sessions, and I've got you know, and I'm learning a new season format, and I'm learning a new preseason format, and I'm learning a new system that we're playing in, and you're trying to apply all those things at once, and I'll say like there there were days where you spent hours I was spending hours every night either with film getting goalkeepers ready for a game that was coming up or you know developing a training session and there are days that you go into the training session and it and it hits and it flows and you're like yes this is it but in your first year there are days you go into training session and it doesn't hit the way you want it to and now it's like you're right back at square one with everything that you know I, I was the 25 year old that I was yeah all of a sudden being like why isn't this working trying to beat my head against the wall and all those things existed in you know Within the scope of one season, like those were everything was there within the scope of one season. But it was, it's so cool working with that level of athlete. There's something so great about it, and they're so rewarding because they can they can communicate in ways that college goalkeepers can't. You know, they've they've done all of that. They know the game so much better. So the conversations that you're having are just at a different level, and that's so much fun. And it's something that I think is really really special. And I, and I will say, you know, if we can kind of jump on a tangent, I think that there's a really important space in the women's professional game. I don't know exactly how it is on the men's side, but There is only one goalkeeper coach at, at, at every club. Um, so unless you've been doing it for a long time, you don't necessarily have context for for what you're doing. And I think that there's a really big need. So t- and tell me if you think if this is the case, just because of the academy system on the men's side, where you've got multiple goalkeeper coaches in an environment that you don't have, I think, on the women's side. So you're you're kind of operating in a vacuum because whether you're on the pro level or the college level or the youth level, the coach says, go train the goalkeepers and you go train the goalkeepers. And then yeah. you, you, know, you join back up with the team. And I think that there's a really important step that can and should be taken for, for teams to have more than one goalkeeper coach. Whether it's the same system that kind of pops up and you've got youth teams under pro teams or club teams, uh and, and you can just create an environment where there's literally more than one goalkeeper coach in, in a given environment. Because you are you're operating within a vacuum. I think, you know, some of my my learning moments came from from being on the road or, or during games when I could, you know, grab a beer with another goalkeeper coach after after a game and sit and talk about goalkeeping. I never sat and talked about goalkeeping unless I was doing a podcast, <laughs> you know, during the yeah. season. And I think that there's a really important space that that could exist and doesn't yet but i hope i hope it does exist (laughs) soon yeah
1: yeah it's tough i mean i've seen it even with uh, lafc academy Uh, adrian who's with the academy side he has i don't know like four teams he has to work with so i think that he's kind of on an island on his own and every now and again when our season or our schedule kind of slowed down he and i could have a good conversation and discuss Mm -hmm. things but still it it's on a lot of times like the goalkeeping side is a last position that's going to have a budget or going to even do uh, anything to really improve it Mm -hmm. if that makes sense but i think that's where i think zooms or uh different things on like for this a podcast and stuff Mm -hmm. like that like you're saying listening to podcasts and seeing from someone's experience and recognizing like you said right there something that resonated with me was wow okay everybody has a bad session or everyone has those sessions where they question everything yeah and hearing that gives me perspective of like okay i can have a little bit more um, empathy for myself in those moments Mm -hmm. and like understand yeah i don't ever want to feel this again But how do I, like we talked about earlier, compartmentalize and then not only do that, but really build a skill set that's going to be able to combat this because these things come in waves. Mm It could be two weeks, two months where everything's going amazing. And I had this recently where it was the end of the season, a game that didn't even matter. Mm -hmm. And we're playing against Galaxy 2 or Galaxy's MLX uh, Next Pro Team. Mm -hmm. I'm getting the second goalkeeper ready to come in and I'm hitting crosses and there's parents and stuff watching, nobody there really. Mm-hmm. And I'm kicking balls and I missed like three crosses in a row that maybe if there was somebody there to finish them like a third goalkeeper could have shot them in. Sure, sure. But the ones where the goalkeepers are like I'm just going to come out right. because these last two balls have been terrible. Right, right. And I remember finishing up the exercise whatever and again, maybe no one even cared, but I'm walking off the field going like why was that such a disaster? What are yeah. what are you doing? And and I think those are the moments where you start to recognize Okay, you hit one bad one, try it again. Mm-hmm. But if not, okay, what's the fallback plan? Maybe I just try and get some height with this one and mm-hmm. kind of like do a little bit of a curl so it lops in the air. It may not be game realistic. with yeah. the goalkeeper's getting something out of it and I'm walking out of it saying at least I had something to fall back on that gave me some foundation. To continue to build forward.
0: Yeah, but you know what? In in like three to five years, whatever it is, like that whole process, that whole process is gonna happen like that in your yeah. mind, right? Where if it's year one and and whatever it is, I hit three bad crosses in a row on game day warm up, I'm like, I don't deserve to be here. Like what what am I doing? I need to leave, right? Where like you have to go through that whole process with with when with experience like you know exactly what's going on you know exactly how to change course you know exactly how to fix things and you know exactly how to deal with it yeah like the the dealing with it and and the being able to to adapt in whatever way you need to adapt like that's experience that takes time again like i think that there's a a need to facilitate space for for development and growth at the pro levels like i don't i don't necessarily think that this might be controversial but i don't necessarily think that you can take a, a good college coach and put them at the pro level and they're going to be a good pro coach. I think it's, it's a really different game in a lot of ways. And I think the same thing exists for the goalkeeper coach. You know, I feel really lucky that I had experience on the, on the men's semi pro side. I think that 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 really gave me a good, you know, a good introduction to to coaching at the professional level in a way that I was prepared to go into it, but it's a, it's a hard thing to do unless you're in it in a really, you know, safe kind of way.
1: Yeah. Did playing pro help with, like absolutely
0: yeah because okay. i knew what the environment you yes. know okay yeah should be like and i knew or i knew what wh- i knew what i thought the environment should be like i had like i had a frame of reference for it and you're just around that type of player and and you know that all makes a difference for sure but it's such a different role to be playing when you're on you yeah. know when you're on one side of the touchline rather than the other
1: so what's the solution how can we is it mentorship programs or for example we're both in la mm-hmm. and like hey i'd like to come watch your session right. I'd like to come is that kind of how i think it's all appreciate? of it yeah
0: i think you know i think that you and like we and and the community's done a good job of creating you know a community for for goalkeepers I think that technology's really expanded you know what we've been able to be exposed to but there is nothing that's going to replace in my mind being on the field and learning it's the same as being a player like you can watch as I I can get someone to watch as you know as much Premier League or NWSL as I want and they're going to do a certain amount of learning within that environment but there's nothing that's going to replace the on-field you know exposure and I think that that I think that there's a real place and a real need for uh, mentorship and for on-field reps and for all of that in in the youth and the college and the professional game in, in a way that's just not there. At least on the women's side, I don't want to speak to the men's side because I don't know it as well.
1: Yeah, it does. In a sense, I mean, but maybe for me it was more so because I'm so tied into the media side of things mm-hmm. that I've kind of taken a lot of the information that I get from podcasts from youtube videos from even podcasts that i've done myself Mm -hmm. where i speak to somebody they give me this little nugget of information and then i sleep on it i think about it a lot and then i realize oh boy okay that's something i can really implement Mm -hmm. and then through trial and error of my own implementation i'm recognizing wow i've had a breakthrough here or i need to work on this a little bit more so i would say for me it's been more of internalizing Mm -hmm. but because that's the only way so if there was more like you're saying more of an outlet or even more of Hey, we're going to have a session today, and Mm -hmm. like clubs were okay with other coaches and other people coming to watch. I understand just, you know, keeping things uh, discreet, but still, I think it's important to have that. And one thing for me is, for example lafc last year i didn't really have that open door policy because the goalkeeper coach that was there i don't know what it was maybe he didn't like me i don't know what it is but yeah. like i would ask him to come watch sessions impossible and, i don't know because <laughs> <laughs> i haven't had him on the podcast yet maybe that's what it is but he was just kind of like no i'm gonna do my thing and yeah. like if you wanted to watch you can watch from the side yeah. and i had that kind of like a little bit of a stiff arm mm-hmm. so it kind of like closed me off but then i speak to guys like phil Weddon, paul rogers Chris Sharp, for example, Todd Hofford, guys who I know, Jill Lloyd mm-hmm. people who I've spoken to, and they're so open to giving information yeah. that I kind of said, oh boy, okay, maybe I can just keep on knocking and some people are just not going to be open to it, but keep on knocking on those doors because people are willing totally. to give you the information you just have to ask.
0: Totally. And I would say that I've, you know, I, I think that especially the way that, that Jill and TKI approach, you know, approach the sharing of information. Um, I, I think there's an incredible amount of knowledge. I think that, you know, just giving a shout out to them, she's done an incredible job with just opening up her ideas and her philosophy to to players and to coaches, you know, I I would love to go to all the Phil Weddens, you know, yeah. conventions and and but you know sometimes that's not accessible to people. So so the sharing of information is big, absolutely. I think the in person part. I think that you know if you do have the ability to go to uh, what is what is Phil's thing called the IG IGCC yeah yeah that acronym. Uh, if you do, <laughs> I think I think that's probably an incredible experience, right? But creating being able to create that in whatever you have available to you, um, I think is really important. And I think that it is possible for teams to, to recognize for clubs, maybe organizations, if you will, to recognize the importance of, of growth. You're never just going to have one coach. You're never going to have one assistant coach, you know? So, so i maybe, you know, why would you just have one goalkeeper coach if there's a way to, to kind of build, you know, something, something bigger and something better that's going to, you know, long-term allow, allow a lot of development
1: yeah just because it's the way it's been done for years doesn't mean it's the only solution yeah yeah and i want to get you out on this last question yeah and uh, i ask people different questions at the end so this one's probably the first one i'm ever gonna ask to anybody so special um but if you were let's say watching this interview back Mm -hmm. in 10 years what is something from your coaching but also like personal life and like Mm kind of how you see and view the world that you want to improve on that in 10 years you look Mm -hmm. back and say wow okay i really made i would say leaps and bounds but i've really improved on that
0: where do i want to grow yeah um i mean hopefully you know my hopefully my body of work in 10 years allows me to approach an interview like this with a lot with better stories <laughs> um, and great examples of of championships and whatnot i think that i'm always going to care a lot about communication and delivering information and being really well spoken i think that that's a tool that I struggled with, that I struggle with less now. That in ten years I want to be really, really good at. And and yeah, being being intentional with my words, being concise with my words, it's not something I'm good at. Even <laughs> I'm, I'm better, but I'm not good at it. Um, and I think that yeah, if I was gonna look at this in ten years, I would just want to just be even more, you know, even more dialed into to being able to communicate in really good, effective ways.
1: First part of that is self awareness to mm-hmm. know what you want to work on, and then as you progress, then you start adding the little tools that you need and experiences totally. that you need and the more feedback and stuff that you get from different people, all of this kind of.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But again, like the feedback, like where does, where does that come from? Right. Yeah. Like it, you gotta, you gotta have something around you to be able to, to get that feedback from. I think that's huge
1: for sure. Yeah. Well, let's, let's start creating something. We'll, we'll make something let's happen. Go. But <laughs> yes. Um, anything else?
0: No, thank you. Thank you for, you know, doing this and sharing your time. You know, we talk about, we talk about creating space for growth and I think that this is an incredible space for growth. So thank well, you. we've
1: had conversations you and I before and I, I like the way you were articulate i like the way that you have your experiences and kind of how you've tailored those experiences into wh- the way you coach so i've always had the idea of if i did start this you'd be one of the people on there so i'm appreciate happy I'm, and i appreciate you coming i know it's kind of in the middle of nowhere in la here so i appreciate oh, that, that. It was great It was just no, <laughs>
0: no traffic on the 10 today it was, it was pretty That's, easy I,
1: I i didn't do that and clear anything for you but i'm happy it was <laughs> it's like a good that. good
0: day when there's no traffic on the
1: But yeah. well, ali thank you so much and hopefully we'll have you again on soon thank you thank you all right